are listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Thank you, Barb. That was awesome. That was so cool. Good morning, everybody. 
As you can tell, we're in the Psalms. We've been doing this series for a while, and every week we're having the Psalms sung. I've got to say, that is how the Psalms are meant to be read. Michael, I don't know how you're going to follow that next week, but good luck, man. <laughs> that was awesome. That was beautiful. So we're in the home stretch of our uh, Psalms teaching series. For the past several weeks, we've been exploring the book of Psalms, and we've covered a lot of ground together. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you guys. This has been, this has been quite a series. Um, we talked about Psalms of praise and thanksgiving, these um, ancient prayers and poems that give thanks to God, that praise God's name. Um, we've also looked at lament Psalms. Those are the dark, brooding Psalms that... Um, express grief and pain and sorrow, lament. We looked at wisdom psalms. Those are psalms that are intended to to teach us something, to instill wisdom. And then last week, we even talked about cursing psalms, these incredibly violent, almost cringeworthy psalms where the psalmist calls on God to destroy their enemies. Fun stuff. All that to say, there's been a lot of highs and lows in this series. You could almost get whiplash week by week, which is actually a lot like the book of Psalms itself. This book contains nearly a thousand years of poems, songs, and prayers highlighting the good and the bad, the highs and the lows of our collective life with God. And we've got two more weeks in this series. Um, Today we're looking at creation psalms. That's psalms where a key theme is nature, the earth, the heavens, and God's role as creator. There is a gulf between human beings and creation. Maybe you've felt it. I know I have. Uh, We see it on the news all the time, environmental destruction, natural disasters, pandemics, the war that seems to be raging at times between human beings and the earth. And we often experience that global struggle on much smaller, more personal ways as well. When was the last time you were in nature? Like not on a paved road or a manicured park, but just you, God, maybe a few friends or family, and the earth. We have a pretty active outdoor community here in Brockport, so for some of us it might not have been that long. I know for me it's been years. I grew up in the city, a very, a very urban setting. Maybe because of that, I've always had a little bit of anxiety about nature. Uh, my backyard as a kid was a postage stamp. It was tiny. Um, if I ever do go camping, my allergies are so bad, I have to take so much Benadryl that I don't remember the trip. <laughs> so, so I feel this divide on a very personal level. But I think in our modern society, with all of our technology, all of our screens, for all the good that's done, it can feel like the gulf between human beings and creation is bigger than ever. We don't sit and watch the sunrise very often anymore, because the light on our phones is brighter. Before the first ray of sunlight comes through our windows in the morning, most of us have already been checking email and scrolling through Facebook for an hour. We don't know where our food comes from um, or how it's produced, the working conditions of the folks who pick our produce, the living conditions of the animals we consume. Even the country of origin for a lot of what we eat gets a little sketchy. Um, There was a report published recently 
showing that nearly half of all Americans didn't go outside for recreation in the past year, not once. And that includes a huge chunk of U.S. children. Nearly a third of kids in the United States have not played outside in the last year. And the rates of outdoor recreation are going down among all age groups, and they have been for about a decade now. Apparently, this is having a huge impact. This was a news to me, not just on family life and communities, but on the earth itself. Um, a lot of the funding for conservation, protecting the environment, protecting wild animals, comes from the outdoor recreation industry. So as participation rates have declined, a lot of those funds and resources are drying up. It's like technology has made us more connected to the world than ever, but we are profoundly disconnected from the earth. And that's a problem because to be disconnected from the creation also means we're disconnected from the creator. So I think these creation psalms are more important now than ever. The ancient poets who gave us the psalms, they were not disconnected from the earth. Ancient Israel was an agrarian society. This was a, this was a, a place of farmers and shepherds and fishermen. When they sang praises to God, they drew heavily from what they saw in nature. Um, here's the genre chart we've been using throughout this series. Uh, it kind of tracks the major genres of the psalms, the big ones. Last week we talked about cursing psalms, which is more of a subgenre. That's why it's not pictured here. Creation psalms are also a subgenre, so they don't make it on this list. But creation psalms are a very different sort of subgenre from what we saw last week. Last week we learned that with the cursing psalms, it's a subgenre of lament. So this big red chunk right here. You could basically take a sliver of it, make it like dark red, label it cursing, and, and that would work. That would fit. But you can't do that with creation psalms because we find creation psalms everywhere. Every single genre on this chart has at least a couple creation psalms in the mix. The praise psalms and the psalms of thanksgiving, that's like the natural fit. That's where we find most of the creation psalms as the psalmist is praising God as creator of the heavens and the earth. But you also find creation psalms among the darker psalms, the laments. Psalm 74 is a really good example of this. This will be on your screen as well. This is a typical lament, and it starts out sounding like just any ordinary lament. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation which you acquired long ago, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you came to dwell. I mean, you've got all the stuff there that you would expect to find in a creation psalm, right? The psalmist is crying out to God, petitioning for rescue, saying, remember us, Lord. Very typical lament. But then just a few verses later, creation shows up. Verse 12, yet my God is king from of old, working salvation in the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the dragons in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. That's like a sea monster. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You cut openings for springs and torrents. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also is the night. You established the stars and the sun. You have fixed all the bounds of the earth. 
you made summer and winter. Even if in this dark space of lament, the psalmist turns to creation, to God's power and goodness displayed in creation for comfort. So we find creation psalms among the laments. We find creation psalms among wisdom psalms. There's not a single genre in the book of Psalms that's not touched in some way by creation. So if we're hoping to reconnect to creation, if we're hoping to find our fit in the world that God has made, these creation psalms seem like they'd be a pretty good start. So here's the plan for the next 20 minutes. This is what this is going to look like. We're going to jump around a little bit, cover a lot of ground, sample some different psalms in order to tease out some big ideas we find in the creation psalms about God and creation. We're going to wrestle with that a bit, and then we're going to close by doing a deeper dive into Psalm 8, which is um, a psalm that grapples with our role in creation as human beings, okay? We're going to cover a lot of ground, so let's get started with Psalm 104, the psalm that Barb sang for us just a few minutes ago. This whole psalm is about God's role in creation, and it teases out the first big idea we're going to talk about today, which is that creation is God's handiwork. I'll read Psalm 104. We're going to jump around a bit because this is a long one. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so it shall never be shaken. You make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use. You have made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the animals of the forest come creeping out. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. I like poetry. Hopefully you do too. I get tingles when I read stuff like that. The psalm goes on and on, declaring that the earth is God's handiwork. That's the big picture message here. God made it. God sustains it. God loves it. This is the fundamental truth about creation. This is why we call this big blue rock that we're all standing on creation, because someone, God, created it. That's the fundamental truth about the world. And there are at least two forces in our culture that are pushing against this fundamental truth. The first is a sort of um, rationalistic naturalism, we might call it. Basically, the belief that the earth, the universe, all of this just sort of happened randomly by accident. It's nothing special. There's no intentionality. We find billions and billions of lifeless, cold planets in our universe. It just so happens we have one that had the right atmosphere for life. In this view, there's no mystery, no magic. 
No deeper meaning or spirit, just a random succession of coincidences that led to all of this. And I guess that's a rational way to view the world, right? Like the the math works out. But it just seems kind of meaningless. And even worse than that, it feels boring. Like no one looks into the Grand Canyon and goes, wow, what a random bunch of rocks, right? Like, you don't do that. Hopefully you don't do that. Because the proper reaction to nature is awe. We look in the Grand Canyon and we feel reverence. So while a sort of rationalistic approach to creation might be reasonable, it pushes against everything we feel and experience in light of the grandeur of creation. And there's another idea pushing against the fundamental truth that creation is God's handiwork. This one's a bit more sinister, and it's really popular in certain corners of the church. It's the notion that creation is unimportant, or even worse, disposable. Christianity teaches that creation is broken, right? Death, decay, and sin have invaded God's world, and because of that, A lot of Christians seem ready to just write the whole thing off. It's like, who cares about the planet? Who cares about the environment? It's all going to hell anyway. We should focus on more spiritual matters. Our true home is elsewhere. And for one, I got to say, that's just a profoundly selfish way to view the world. Like, If we just stand by praying and reading our Bibles while the earth around us burns, our grandkids are going to remember that. But an even bigger problem about this perspective is it misunderstands the fundamental theological truth about the world. Christians who believe the world is disposable have assumed that the fundamental truth about the world, the most basic true statement about the world, is that it's broken. But that's not the fundamental truth about the world. The most foundational claim about the world found in Scripture is that God created it. God sustains it. God loves it. For God so loved the world. Ha cosmos in Greek, where we get cosmos. God loves the world. The creation psalms never say anything like this. You won't find this in the creation psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, you are so great. You set the earth on its foundations. You stretched out the heavens and the sky. Too bad it's all screwed up and going straight to hell anyway. You You will not find that in the book of Psalms. So we really need to check our theology and our understanding of the value of the earth as God's creation if we're gonna take scripture seriously. Side note, by the way, we are all a part of God's creation. You are also a created being made by God who God sustains and loves. So while you might have been convinced at some point that the, the most foundational truth about you is that you're broken, Or maybe that you're just a random collection of molecules with no greater meaning or purpose. 
Scripture actually teaches that the most foundational truth, the most fundamental truth thing about you is that God created you and God loves you. Are we broken? Of course. Are we sinful? Absolutely. But prior to any of that, we are loved. So that's big idea one, number one. Creation is God's handiwork. Second big idea from the creation psalms <clears throat> is that creation praises God. This is kind of a cool one. Um, if we look at Psalm 19, which was the basis for our, our call to worship this morning, we see this idea come out big time. Psalm 19, starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, and yet their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. I really don't want to miss the gravity of what's being said there. This is poetry, of course, but I actually don't think the psalmist is being metaphorical on this point. The heavens declare the glory of God. We could also read it, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The earth bears witness to its creator. Creation reflects God's majesty by merely existing. There is no speech, their voice is not heard, and yet their voice goes throughout the earth. Creation is praising God. The rocks are literally crying out. This is a profound mystery of our faith. We tend to think of nature as wild and dangerous, the earth as fallen and terrifying. But what if we looked at the earth as our partner in praising God? What if we learned how to worship, how to offer our own praise and thanksgiving to God by studying how creation does it? The way God's majesty is revealed in the expanse of the sky, how the height of the mountains reveals God's greatness. What if we put our phones down for 10 seconds and received the warmth of the sun as a testimony to God's goodness? then we might discover that we can also give glory to God by merely existing, by overcoming obstacles and pushing forward, by getting up, dragging ourselves out of bed even when it's hard. The knowledge that every single action we take can reflect God's goodness into the world. That's what we learn from the creation psalms. Creation is God's handiwork. Creation praises God. Another idea that's really closely related to these two, creation reveals God. The earth points us back to its creator. Time and time again throughout the psalms, we see that creation actually reveals attributes of God's character. And not always just that God's the creator, the stuff we'd expect. Um, here's some examples. Psalm 50, verse 6. The heavens declare God's righteousness. 
Psalm 108.4, God's faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Psalm 67, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. Or one of my favorite, Psalm 103, verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. Creation is speaking to us. The earth is giving testimony about our God. Paul gets at this in the first chapter of Romans when he writes this, Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been understood and seen through the things he has made. I've heard so many people say that it's when, they, when they're in nature that they feel closest to God. For me, I think it's probably just the effects of the Benadryl. Over the line, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. In all seriousness, apologies. If you've ever felt God's presence in nature, this is why. This is what the creation psalms are revealing to us. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. The question we need to answer today is are we listening? Will we listen? Are we going to participate in creation's praise of God, or are we just going to praise ourselves? Are we going to bear witness to creation's testimony to God's character, or are we too distracted by our screens? Are we going to honor the earth as God's good creation, or do we prefer to fixate on more spiritual matters as if God's creation is not spiritual? These are the questions that these psalms provoke for me. And I think they speak to a larger question of where we fit in all this. Where do human beings fit in the order of creation? What relationship are we supposed to have with creation? And how, if at all, does that connect to our relationship with God? That's the question at the forefront of Psalm 8, which is the last psalm we're looking at today. Psalm 8 is another creation psalm. You might recognize this one. The opening lines are pretty famous. Um, but this psalm echoes in a neat little package pretty much everything we've been talking about so far. Psalm 8, starting in verse 1. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes, to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crown them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This psalm begins by offering praise to God. The psalmist sees God's glory being declared without words by the heavens and from the mouths of infants. 
And they actually join in that praise. And then having borne witness to, the, the, to creation's worship of God and the vastness of the heavens and the earth, the psalmist asks that key question, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Where do we fit? With the immensity of creation and our relative smallness, why does God care about us? What's our role in all this? We act like we own the earth, like, like it's our property, but we're just specks. We're tiny. The earth is God's and everything in it, and it is so much bigger than us. And yet, in spite of our smallness, the psalmist declares that human beings possess infinite worth. God has made us a little lower than God, crowning us with glory and honor, giving us dominion over the works of your hands. And there it is. That is our role in a nutshell. God is the creator. We are the managers. God is the sovereign. We are the stewards. We've talked about dominion in here before, although it's been a minute. It's been a while since we've really talked about that topic. But human beings having dominion over the earth does not mean that we have free range to do whatever we want. The minute our management of creation takes away or detracts from what we know to be true of God's creation, that's when we've lost the plot. If we fail to value the earth as God's handiwork and treat it as disposable, that's a mismanagement of God's creation. When we waste our natural resources and pollutes, we impede creation's ability to praise God. When we eat food that's produced through exploitative means, we are denying the truths about God's character that are proclaimed in creation. The earth can't praise God if we destroy it. Creation cannot serve and glorify its creator if our only worry is how it can serve us. But if we steward the earth properly, if we take up our ancient call to be good stewards, if we value the sanctity of creation and listen to the witness of creation, well, then we'll not only draw closer to the earth, we'll draw closer to our creator as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your creation. Thank you for all the ways that the earth declares your praises and reveals your goodness. Help us to live in a manner that honors and participates in that praise. Make our lives a testimony to your good character as we strive to steward your earth faithfully. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist 
on Twitter at BrockportFB and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.